This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. We'll begin on page 863 in the Bibles in your rows, or it's also printed in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along as I read. Luke 7, 1 to 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to you to come, but say the word and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them, and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Morning, New City. Morning. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy New Year. I'm grateful to have the honor to greet you and welcome you into the new year. I hope that your 2023 is off to a great start. This also seems to be a day of peace for many of you because as both OSU fans and Michigan fans are commiserating together, um, you know, I hope our passage today would give you some healing. But other than welcoming you into the new year, I would also like to take this opportunity to say goodbye. As many of you know, after the service today, my family and I will begin our three-month sabbatical. And we'll, be, we'll certainly miss you, all of you. And I've gotten, to, I've gotten to a point that every time I see a new city person, doesn't matter where or when, my reflex is to say good morning. <laughs> and, um, you know, I see a Stricker's Grove on Thursday night, I say good morning. Or Kroger, Saturday afternoon, I say good morning. You've been our home and family for so long, and, and you care for us so well. It's, it's going to be weird to be gone for so long. And, and we're also very grateful that the church is giving us this opportunity to, to rest and to reset. And we'll be doing some travel overseas, and then we'll also be resting at home. And since all that stands between me and my sabbatical is this sermon, I will try to make it brief, okay? <laughs> I will try. I only have two points today, and I'm not even going to start with any of my silly introductions. Let me just get right into it, okay? And a few months ago, we looked at Jesus' sermon on the plain in Luke chapter 6. And we picked up now in Luke chapter 7. If you remember from Luke 6, Jesus laying down the values of his new kingdom. Then in chapter 7, Luke takes us through the actions of this new king. Who is this new king? And you may notice that this is the question that surrounds Jesus throughout this chapter. Who is he? 
He can heal people. He can raise the dead. He could even forgive sins. And John the Baptist would send people to ask him, are you really the one we have been waiting for? So who is he? Today we will look at two aspects of Jesus' identity. Okay? First, he's a healer. Jesus cures people supernaturally. Now, we're in the 21st century. We have doctors and nurses. We have research hospitals and pharmaceutical companies. We have the NIH and the CDC. Now, the idea of supernatural healer may seem ludicrous to you, or at least unnecessary. But as Mike Tyson, who said, everyone has a plan until he gets punched in the face. <laughs> no sickness has the tendency to punch us in the face. Now, with some great doctors here in New City, I'm sorry, let me try it again. Every doctor here in New City is a great doctor. <laughs> but I think even all of you doctors would admit that there are things that doctors can't do. For example, this is flu season. Even doctors cannot just make all the viruses go away. Your medicines take time to work. A lot of times, doctors cannot guarantee the medicines will work. Now, doctors cannot remove the anxiety and uncertainty from a parent's heart. Now, from our family's experience with cancer, you know, even the best doctors in the country are limited by the research of the medical field. Now, sooner or later, you will bump up against the limits of medicine. And you will hear the words, I'm sorry, I'm afraid she's not going to make it. And that's due to some, something we have in common with people 2,000 years ago in Jesus' days. And that's why in Jesus' day, his reputation as healer precedes him. Now, Jesus has the power to heal all kinds of disease, sometimes just with a word. The desperate people flock to him because he may be their only hope. And one of those people is a Roman centurion in Capernaum. Now, you may get to know a little, you need to know a little bit of cultural background here. Israel was under the rule of Rome. And therefore, a Roman centurion should have no claim on God's favor because he is the enemy. He is the enemy's occupying force. He has no claim to God's favor because he's not only a pagan, he also oppresses God's people in Israel. He's unclean religiously and unwelcomed politically. But interesting enough, every time, if you notice, every time a Roman centurion is mentioned in the New Testament, he's always a good guy. Maybe that should give you some hope, especially if you're a Michigan fan. You know, God's salvation is not just for the insiders. It's also for the people who are traditionally considered enemies of God. We even have a Michigan fan serving as an elder here in New City, right? <laughs> and ordinarily... A Roman centurion would have no need for a Jewish man. You know, from our story, we can see that this centurion is a wealthy man. He's well-connected. He probably has access to the best resource in the empire. But again, everyone has a plan until he gets punched in the face. So this centurion has a beloved servant in his household that is sick. And Luke says, at the point of death. So when you hear about Jesus, he sends some elders of the Jews to ask Jesus to come to heal his servant. Now, immediately, we can learn a few things about this man. You know, he's humane. 
He cares about his servants, and he's culturally sensitive. He knows that it would be more effective to ask Jewish elders to talk to Jesus because Jesus is also a Jew. And some people speculated that this centurion may be a God-fearer. It's a category of Gentiles in the New Testament time who worship the Jewish God Yahweh, but did not make the full conversion by getting circumcised. And the surprising thing here is the Jewish elders were happy to help him. Now Luke says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. Now that's a bit weird. Now we are learning about all the atrocities committed by the Russian soldiers in Ukraine. And we know about the atrocities of the Japanese occupation in China and in Southeast Asia during World War II. The Romans were no less brutal than these people. But somehow in this situation, the centurion was well-liked by the Jewish elders in town. And that's because he's been kind to them. The elders, says to, the elders say to Jesus, He loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, therefore, the elders pleaded earnestly with Jesus, He is worthy to have you do this for him. And I'm not sure if the Jewish elders actually believed that Jesus could heal him, but we can see how their worldview works. Now, this man loves us. He has done great things for us. He made a huge pledge in our Making Room campaign. Now, therefore, this man is worthy for you to help him. And maybe if Jesus helps him, he will continue to do nice things for us. They look at Jesus as a healer they can buy, a healer they can negotiate with, a healer they can transact with. And then a second surprising thing happened. surprising thing is that Jesus went with them. Surprising because Jesus, if Jesus goes into this man's house, it will make him ceremonially unclean. Now, Jesus willing to go even, even though it would be a sacrifice for him. And Jesus didn't ask any questions, any details. You know, what does this man have? What's his view on justification? Has he been tested for COVID? You know, Jesus just, he just went. No questions asked. And this expresses the heart of Jesus. He's willing to make sacrifices to heal others, even those who would make him unclean, even those who would consider his enemies. So let me just stop here and think about what this means for us. If Jesus is a healer, that means your terminal diagnosis may not be the end. There's always the possibility for healing, for hope, for renewal. You know, as long as God exists, there will be miracles. So pray. Your sickness is a good opportunity to get to know Jesus. Now, Jesus has the power to heal. And better yet, all of Jesus' miracles, Jesus' healing is only a foretaste. Now, in his earthly days, Jesus healed people. But those who, those who, he, who were healed eventually died. And the people who were raised from the dead died again. Otherwise, we'll still see them parading around like celebrities. Does that make Jesus ineffective? No. These healings were only a sign of the full healing that he brings at his resurrection. Now, in his resurrection, he gives a healing that's categorically different from these physical healings. It will be a full healing, true life. 
And these healings only point to that. Your sickness, your addiction, your sins, even your death will not be the end of you. Your resurrection in Jesus is your final destination. But if Jesus is just a healer to you, then we may be tempted to negotiate with him. He's the miracle worker. It's his mission to heal. He owes us to us to make us well. Then we may be tempted to think that we could earn his favor. We could make ourselves worthy of his healing. And we do great things for church. We give money to charity. We serve our community. We are worthy for Jesus to heal us. Well, of course, you know, we Christians don't believe in earning God's grace. We rely on faith. If only we believe hard enough, if only we have great faith, if only we get others to believe and pray for us, then God will grant us healing. The God is ready to heal you if you believe and have enough faith. In other words, we become worthy of God's healing because of our great faith. The faith becomes a commodity we use to earn God's favor. Imagine how, could, how that could go wrong quickly. If Jesus is just a healer, then two things will happen when healing doesn't happen. Now, Jesus cannot be trusted. He is not powerful enough. I need a different solution. Or worse yet, there must be something wrong with me. I didn't believe hard enough. My faith is not great enough. I've heard awful, awful stories from people feeling an enormous amount of guilt and shame when they lost a loved one, when they couldn't get pregnant, when they continued to suffer from chronic illness because someone had told them that Jesus didn't heal them because of their lack of faith. Just awful. It's piling guilt and shame on top of someone's grief and suffering, all because we often misunderstand how faith works. So now I'm not saying that faith is not important. So I, don't, I hope you don't go home today saying, oh, Pastor Ryan says faith is not important. Faith is extremely important. By the end of the story, Jesus marveled this centurion's great faith. Not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now what makes this man's faith great? What's the greatness of this man's faith? I think more than his certainty that Jesus has the power to heal He has a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. More than his certainty that Jesus has the power to heal, he has a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. And it's ironic that it's a Roman centurion, a Gentile, who shows us a better understanding of Jesus' true identity. As Jesus was near his house, the centurion sends his friend to say to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Now, the word Lord could be just a a respectful title, like when we say sir. But what he says later indicates that he meant more than that. He says to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come into my roof. Again, this reflects the centurion's cultural intelligence. He knows that coming into his house would make Jesus unclean. But again, his words meant more than that. He goes on to say, therefore, I did not presume to come to you. And actually, the original Greek means, I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. And that word, consider myself worthy, has the same root as the word that the Jewish elders used earlier. 
And the, the, the elder said, this man is worthy for you to do this for him. And the centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But contrary to the Jews, he seems to understand that none of the things he's done would make him worthy to even come to Jesus. That's an incredible amount of humility. Because it's an incredible declaration of Jesus' identity. He says, but, but say the word and let my servant be healed. And he somehow understands that Jesus not only has the power to heal, he could do it with a word from a distance. He somehow understands that Jesus has command over nature just with his words. And this is calming the storm type of miracles. And when Jesus calmed the storm with his word, his disciples became afraid. And they asked, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obeyed him. But here we have a Gentile who seemed to know Jesus' power and authority. And he understands this because he, he's also a man under authority. He has authority over other people. He knows how command works. When he gives a command, people obey. But Jesus is not just commanding people. He commands the natural world. And the natural world obeys. And only the Lord of the universe has that type of power. Of course, it's not worthy to come to him. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Because no one else in Israel has this type of clarity on his power and identity. Now, people call him rabbi. People came to him for healing. People marveled at his teaching. But no one, definitely not the religious elites, had recognized him as Lord. Maybe the same goes with us, for us today. And we can call him a good teacher. We can marvel his philosophy. We can, call, we can come to him for healing. But do we acknowledge him as Lord? Do we believe that he has authority over the whole world, authority over your life? If he is the Lord and he does not owe us anything, every good thing we have is part of his mercy. We are unworthy of any of it. So now here's the uncomfortable question. Right? If Jesus is Lord, and you acknowledge him as Lord, why does he grant us healing like he did with the centurion servants? Now, many of you have gone through major illnesses. Many of you suffer from chronic pain. Many of you went to funerals last year. Some of you will go to funerals this year, perhaps even for someone very dear to you. Why wouldn't Jesus grant you healing that you asked for? I can confidently, confidently tell you as a pastor, there will be times when Jesus won't give you the answers that you ask for. But there will be times when Jesus does not heal you. Not because I don't have faith in Jesus as a healer. It's because I have faith as Jesus, in Jesus as Lord. Not because I don't have faith as Jesus, in Jesus as a healer. It's because I have faith in Jesus as Lord. If we acknowledge him as Lord, we got to trust that he knows what is best for us. we got to trust that he knows what, when to heal and when to use our sickness to shape us. His wisdom surpasses all of our understanding. Now, the Bible is filled with stories of God's salvation and deliverance. We like those stories. 
There are also many examples in the Bible where God did not deliver his people. And these stories give us a full picture of our faith. In Genesis, when Joseph was thrown into the pit, his brothers saw the distress of his soul. He begged them, but they did not listen. God did not help him. And decades later, Joseph would reflect on this and said to his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God's lordship and sovereignty was Joseph, Joseph's consolation. Job. God allowed Satan to take everything from Job, his health, his family, his wealth, even his children. And for more than 30 chapters, Job asked why. He asked God to defend himself. And finally, God shows up and he doesn't answer Job's question. God just started listing his power. And at the end, Job doesn't need an answer. He recognized that God is Lord and he's not. That's enough for him. God's lordship and sovereignty was Job's consolation. The New Testament, Acts chapter 8. Stephen faced an angry mob, ready to stone him. He looked up in heaven and he saw, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And when they heard this, the crowd rushed at him and stoned him to death. And with his final breath, he prayed that God would forgive these people. Well, Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God's lordship and sovereignty was Stephen's consolation. Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, says, In order to keep him humble, God sent a thorn in the flesh to torture him, a messenger from Satan to harass me. It's not clear what exactly this is. Most people think it's some kind of chronic illness, chronic pain. And Paul says he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him. The Lord didn't. He only answered, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's lordship and sovereignty was Paul's consolation. In the book of Revelation, the early church was going through intense persecutions under the Roman Empire. But God didn't make the persecution go away. He gave them all kinds of weird imageries that basically said, I am the Lord, I win. God's lordship and sovereignty was the early church's consolation. In all these examples, God did not deliver his people. God only showed them he is Lord. And that was enough for them. Because they know that whatever suffering, whatever evil, whatever sickness falls on them, God meant it for good. God will work all things for good for those who love him. And I just finished Trish Warren's new book called Prayer in the Night. It's a beautiful written book. I highly recommend it. And Tish Warren lost her father a few years ago, and he, she, I think she went through a couple of miscarriages. In the book, she walks through an Anglican evening prayer that goes like this. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who wake or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep, tend the sick, give rest to the weary, sustain the dying, Calm the suffering and pity the distress, all for your love's sake, O Christ, our Redeemer. Now, she loves this prayer because it does not deny or downplay the evils of the world, the hard things in life. Acknowledge the existence of sickness, the weary, the dying, the suffering, the distress. They're all real and horrifying. 
And yet at the end, somehow, mysteriously, it's all for love's sake. How can we so discern of God's love for us in all these sufferings and sickness of this world? Because there's a time in history when the Lord of the universe could have also used his power to save himself, and he didn't, so that he could suffer with his people. In Matthew chapter 6, the Romans came to arrest Jesus. His disciples tried to defend him. And Jesus said, put away your sword. Put your sword back. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? With one word, he could command the angels. But he didn't do that. He suffered for us. He went on the cross. He stayed quiet. He went on to the cross. Now Jesus said, no one takes my life from me by lay it down on my own accord. Jesus died to suffer with us, to suffer for us, even though we are unworthy for any of it. So that when he's raised, we can be cleansed from our sins. We are made worthy by him. We can have true life in him. We'll also be raised with him with imperishable bodies. You know, a few years ago, I heard a story about two men in a conference in Asia. I think it would be a good story. It could be a true story, I think. But I'll let the story be my parting words to you. There were two men who were thick as thieves because they were literally thieves. And they spent their life stealing, robbing, and hurting people. And their hearts were hardened. They were hated by the world, and they hated the world. And finally, they were caught brought to trial, and given the death sentence. And since they were partners in life, they will also be partners in death. They were sentenced to die, to be executed on the same day. And on the day of the execution, one thief was angry and bitter. Only if they had run faster. If only they had more money to go into hiding. If only his partner weren't so stupid. And the other thief was also being executed. And like his friend, he caused a lot of sufferings in other people's lives. But now he's suffering a painful and gruesome death. Could there be any hope? And other than his friend, there was a third man being executed on that day. And perhaps if this thief was never caught, if he weren't sentenced to die on the same day, he would have never met this other man. But now this thief's darkest moment, he turned to this man and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And these other men said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. With one word, Jesus could have escaped the the cross, but he didn't. And yet because Of his suffering, he stayed on the cross. With one word, he healed this man's entire life of sin and pain. We do not just have a Lord who heals. We have a Lord who suffers with us. And he heals through his suffering. The prophet Isaiah writes, In his stripes 
we are healed. In this new year, I hope that you will know Jesus as a healer. May God give you good health and joyful heart in 2023. I hope much more that you will know him as your Lord. In the darkest moment of your life, you will find him there, suffering with you, suffering even worse things for you, so that you have true life with him. You pray with me. Father, we thank you that you gave us hope because by your power we know that you could heal us. You could erase the sufferings from our lives. But more so than that, we know that you suffered with us, that you chose to come as a man and died and died on the cross so that we know how much you love us, that you care for us. And even though we don't understand why we have to go through illnesses and sufferings and pain in this world and why sometimes you don't answer our prayers, we know that you still care for us because you died for us. Help us to remember this in our times of suffering, our times of illness, to know that you are alongside of us, to find you there when we suffer, to find that we, are hope, we have hope in your resurrection. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.